So we are continuing our series called Follow. Uh, this series we are going to be looking at over the next couple weeks, uh, the book of Luke in chapters 9 and 10. Something really cool happens in these two chapters is Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. So he's giving them a lot of hard realities of what's going to happen over the next couple months. And he kind of is trying to hone them in on making sure their priorities are the same as his. So we see, and what we talked about last week, is Jesus is trying to make sure that his disciples aren't so inward focused. See, what, what people thought about the Messiah was that he was going to be a great hero. He was going to be an earthly king. He was going to be placing the Jews at, at, the, at the helm of what they were supposed to be. And the disciples thought that they were going to be right beside this war hero, the Messiah, Jesus, as he went to overtake the world. But we learned last, last week, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That was not the response they were looking for as we studied last week. That the world was not the goal of Jesus, but it was something completely different. And what we learned is sometimes our goals and expectations do not always align with what God wants. And for, and, and for us to be disciples, we need to work through those to make sure we align with as much as God as possible and not try to use God for our own desires. So today we're going to continue on that series of Jesus' teaching of as Jesus slowly refines his disciples to, to turn into the disciples that he wants for the world. So my question is, have you ever wanted to take credit for something so bad that you started ranking yourself amongst your peers? Either with yourselves, as you talked about with other people, trying to rank yourselves among maybe coworkers or if you're on a sports team, or maybe your friends of just how, how great you are compared to other people, or how low you are compared to other people. I've been in work environments where this was part of the culture, but in a positive way as well. So if, if you were in a sales position and you sold the most, they would reward those salespeople with, with uh, maybe bonus checks at the end of the year or a, or a specific trip that everybody was working towards. There was an expectation at the end or, or a goal that could be reached at the end, and, and everybody was on the same page of ranking system within the workforce. But sometimes we set up systems in our head, and for some reason we, and, and some reason we start to catch up with ourselves with everybody else. Sometimes we, we have our own ranking system in our head and we try to review everybody around us to see who is the best amongst us. But sometimes we set up systems in our head and for some reason they start to catch up due to the way we act. See, my favorite is not talking about the new guy or new girl whenever we, whenever we start new jobs. If there is somebody that comes in and they're the new guy or new girl, it's kind of like we just let them be and try to see if they can, they, can, they can figure it out themselves. See if they can test the fires and see if they'll come out on the other side. I've been in situations like that. Maybe you guys have been in situations like that. We see this specifically in my favorite sport, which is football, in the NFL. During the preseason NFL games, you see all the rookies come out 
and they have these ridiculous haircuts, or they're dressed in ridiculous things, just so that the people who have been there a long time are trying to figure out who's going to make it in the NFL. One of my favorite players of all time was Tim Tebow, and he came out in his first practice, in his first game, he had a friar, uh, friar uh, hair, where they, where they cut everything in the middle, and he had this big ring of hair all around him. And they were just giving him a hard time to see if he could cut it. They were trying to rank themselves. They were trying to rank the, the, the new people coming in to see who was going to be the best. In ministry, there, this is no exception. I remember as a, as a young minister going to lunches when I was fresh out of college, and I was greeted with a lot of, you know, good lucks in ministry. And I hope that you make it in ministry. Now, it is tough to be in ministry, and I hope that you stay faithful. And it was just the older ministers, they were being friendly, but they were also bantering with me, trying to see if I could run the gauntlet and make it out on the other side. But as Christians, in a room of disciples or, or future disciples, are we supposed to view each other as rankings? Are we supposed to think of ourselves as hierarchies in the church? Are we supposed to elevate some people above other people because of their talents or because of how much money they have or how much influence they have? So today's main point is this. To be the greatest, you must become the least. Let's work through that contradiction today as we refine ourselves into being better followers and disciples of Jesus. So here's the passage that we're going to work through today. It's Luke 9, 43 through 50. It says this, And they were amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at what Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to, go, is going to be delivered into the hands of man. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they went. So sorry, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, "Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me." welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. Master, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. And if you just pick up the Bible and you start reading this scripture, this seems like the most ADD, ADHD text of all time, doesn't it? Like Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples of, of, that he is going to be taken away by the hands of man, not in the way that they think. And then they immediately start thinking, you know, who's going to be the greatest of us? Just ignoring the fact of what Jesus just said. And Jesus takes his time and explains to them what it takes to be the greatest. And they completely brush over that and they start talking about somebody who is casting out demons. This makes Scripture very hard to understand if you just pick up and read it. But those who have kids, those who have grandkids, or have been around three-year-olds understand exactly what is going on in this scenario. See, a few weeks ago, I was running home 
uh, and I was late to getting home. I think I came home after dinner. I had a meeting or something, probably not that important. And my son was absolutely out of control. Now, my son, my oldest one, will become out of control for two reasons. The first reason is because he is hungry. He has the worst case of being hangry I've ever seen in a three-year-old, and I just expect it to get worse as he gets into the teenage years. But he gets to the point where everything is a big deal. He gets on the floor. He starts having a meltdown, and you have no idea what he is talking about. Now, the second thing is when he is really, really tired. Now, this, the, the symptoms of that is the exact of the first, but there's one that's added is then in that he cannot hear anything that you say. You can try to reason with him. You can try to get him to a certain direction, and he will just not hear any of it. So my, when I get home, my kids are going nuts. I look at my wife, and she has that look of like, you better do something right now because I'm about to throw these kids out the window. So I grab the big one because he's a little bit harder to handle, and I, and I grab him by the face, and I say, look at me. And I try to explain to him of what he's doing, and I try to coach him on trying not to destroy everything in the house. Because when I caught him, he was on the couch doing front flips off the arm rail onto the, the couch, and he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then it got to the point where he looked at my, my youngest son, and he grabbed him by the face and threw him down on the ground. So I go ahead and I grab Christopher, and I run him upstairs, and I place him on his bed, and I grab his face, and I, and I explain to him, you cannot throw your younger brother. You're going to hurt him. You are three times the size of him. You cannot do that. And he looks me dead in the eye, and he's completely silent during this. And I'm thinking in my head, man, I got to him. This is dad of the year moment right here. He's going to go back down. He's going to hug his brother, and he's going to be like, you know, I'm so sorry I pushed you, Hudson. But then Christopher looked me dead in the eyes, and he says, Daddy, why does your breast stink so bad? You know, even though you have the best reason and you are gentle, sometimes we cannot see two inches in front of our face. The, the disciples are going through this stage of importance. And we, we all go through this stage at some times because sometimes everything is exciting. You know, something, sometimes everything is new, you're being a part of a team, you feel like you're, you're, you're about the big stuff, you're, you are involved. And last week they realized that Jesus was not going to take over the world, which just was a huge blow to their ego. But they're still trying to figure out everything, but they still, even though the Messiah is with them, they're starting to feel big stuff about them. You can get a little pep in your step knowing that, the, that, that God is by your side, Right? You need a little pep in your step knowing that the Messiah came down and he is the one that is teaching you and leading you. So instead of being the greatest amongst the Jews in the world, the disciples are like, well, who's going to be the greatest amongst us? And Jesus gave the most incredible explanation, but they seemed to miss it. He said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Sometimes, maybe most times, if you are at the top or you are out front of a situation, it's hard to truly understand who is around you. If you are on top, it's hard to understand 
exactly who is around you. The reason is because we are so forward-thinking sometimes that if we are on the top, if we're in the front, if we're in the lead, if we think we're the greatest, it is really hard to understand exactly who is beneath you and around you. Like they are absolutely out of touch with reality. See, this is a place that we need to worry about in our walk with Christ. See, sometimes we look at leaders, sometimes we look at people who think they're great, and we look at them and they're like, man, you are so out of touch with reality. I think every single one of our bosses have had, every single one of us have had a boss like that before. Every single one of us has had a friend like that that's just so oblivious to the world, or they've, they've reached success in some sort of way, or they've been placed in leadership, and they just slowly lose touch with reality. I've heard people say that about our governors, about our mayors. I've heard people say about our president, maybe even local basketball coaches. You place yourself at such a high place that everybody around you is like, man, you are out of touch with reality. And these disciples are getting closer and closer to this moment. See, right before this conversation, Jesus did something absolutely amazing. Someone came to Jesus with the son that was possessed by a demon. He had tried absolutely everything to, to heal his son. He even went as far as to going to Jesus' disciples and says, please heal my son. And in the scripture, it says that the disciples turned the son away because they could not heal him. So the father, being a good dad that he is, wanting the best for his son, goes beyond the disciples and goes to Jesus, the Messiah, and asks him to heal his son. And Jesus proceeds to do that very, the very exact thing. There's a crowd around him, and he removes the demon out of the kid. Absolutely amazing. And that's where our story kicks off. That's why it starts off with, with, with it saying, everybody was amazed at what Jesus just did. And while everybody is looking at Jesus, thinking he is the great, his disciples are over there in the corner conversing about themselves of who are we are the greatest? What, who amongst us is the greatest? And it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. And if you study the word thoughts, it really means their inmost being. Jesus knew what was inmost important in their life in that moment. So what he did is he grabbed a kid. And he said, you want to know who the greatest is? The one who welcomes this kid. Jesus, knowing good and well that the disciples just passed on this kid because they couldn't fix him. You want to be great? You want to be the best in the world? Never miss this. Doesn't matter what you accomplish. Doesn't matter who you associate with. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how big your pants are. You will never be big enough for the smallest of these. So that's what it meant for them. But what does it mean for us? Who is the smallest of these? Who was excluded? Who do we view as lesser than you? Who have you skipped over in your life? Who have you given up on that, that has been around you for a long time? And we get this honestly because we really struggle with this in America, don't we? 
The reason that we struggle with this is, is because it's not necessarily because we, we think less of people, but we are so forward thinking that we forget to just stop and look around us. Now, before I, I continue, I'm not going to encourage you just to engage with everybody that, you're, that, that is around you. The Bible specifically says that there are some people that you probably should not be around, some people you should guard yourself with. But if you're going to be around these people, you need to make sure you're rooted in Scripture so you can test and approve what God's will is and not what the world is, to make sure you don't follow the wrong thing. But we struggle in this because we are so ingrained with the American dream. Now, don't get me wrong, the American dream is a, is a great thing, that anybody can come to America and they have the opportunity to be successful. They have the opportunity to pursue happiness. That is something that we, you cannot get in most places around the world. But because of that, that we've been ingrained in our minds since the very beginning, our teachers telling us, you can do anything that you want to be. You can be whoever you want to be when you grow up. And for the most part, that is true. If you, if you work at something hard enough, you can be some, sort, some form of what you want to be in your life. But because of that, whenever somebody falls short, whenever somebody hits a rough patch, or if somebody's at the bottom of the totem pole, we either try to ignore the fact that they're struggling, or we just look at them and say, why don't you just try harder? Man, just go and, just go and try harder, man. And then whenever we look at people, we, we, we take that and we place it on people of faith as well. And we take the same principles of the American dream and we place it in front of our faith as well, don't we? We say, man, just, just let go and let God. Why don't you just pray harder and maybe God will take that away from you? God says, don't be anxious, so just don't do it. Just forget about it. Just have faith and God will take it away. Oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. So don't worry about it. You can handle it. For the record, none of those things are in the Bible. But it's just things that we've been taught from a very young age, and we place those same expectations on the Creator. But what the Bible is trying to say, and what Jesus is trying to say in this moment, as he grabs the kid that nobody cared about in the moment, and says, if you want to be the greatest, if you want to be the greatest, don't look over these ones. Don't look at them and say, try harder. Don't look at people and say, why don't you just pray harder? Don't look at people and say, try to figure it out. And don't look at people and just say, you know, everything will just be okay. I'm sure it will work it out. Basically, what it comes down to and what Jesus is trying to say is stop doing what's easy and just do what's right. The reason he says this is because we have this example in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where it says this, as Paul ex explains who Jesus was, he said, in our relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus went through every single social barrier as God. He started as God, then he came down to be a human. He went from being a prophet to a teacher to a rabbi to a Jewish leader, all the way down to being homeless, then to being imprisoned and later being sentenced to death. There was no one that Jesus was not willing to reach, to touch, to heal, to have a relationship, and to save. Jesus was the greatest because he was willing to take his high place in society and slowly work himself down so he did not miss a single person along the way. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as I finish here. If you remember at the beginning of the sermon when I talked about how in ministry we're not exempt to this kind of hierarchy and we're not exempt to uh, people kind of going through the, the ranking system of being a minister. Well, I, I want to take you back to those meetings when I, when I first started going to those lunches and those breakfasts and and just being around some of these, some of these pastors who have been around for a very long time. And I, and I did get those comments of people introducing yourself, uh, themselves to me and saying, well, good luck, you know, I hope you figure it out. I hope you have a good ministry. But there was one minister, and his name was Brad Walden. He was a minister for 40 years. I think he helped start and pastor Tate's Creek Christian Church. He would probably did more funerals and more weddings than any minister in that room. And I had the, the, he had the privilege of helping church planners and just being encourager all the way until he passed away. The first time I met him, he was probably the last minister that I met that, that my very first luncheon. He came up to me. He was fond of the other ministers that I was working with. And they introduced me to him and kind of gave me his, his resume. And I knew exactly who he was. He's one of the most faithful ministers of Lexington, and I looked up to him, and I, and I always wanted to meet him. And after he, he asked me where I went to college, he asked me who my family was, who he didn't know, but he did know my, my in-laws. And then he did something that no other minister did. He took out his business card, and he wrote his personal number on it, and he gave it to me. And he said, hey, if you need anything, why don't you call me? And I remember sitting down at my table and the other minister, that, the other associate minister that I worked with looked at me and said, are you ever going to call him? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'd say to him. And just to, just to be clear, getting this phone number from Brad Walden was like if you got the phone number of, of a famous person on a TV show. Like that's what he, he meant to me. Like I got that. I was like, this is incredible. I have a connection with a, with a famous person, with somebody that's been faithful for 40 years. And over the, next, over the next few years, he would randomly call me. I remember the first time he called me, I was in the office of the associate minister of my last church, and I, and I pick up my phone, and it says, Brad Walden. And he looks at me and goes, you better answer that. So I get up out of the chair, I run down the hallway so I could, so I could hear exactly what he was going to, going to say. And he, he asked about me. He asked about my ministry. He asked about new families coming in. 
He asked about my wife and how she was doing and the job that she was pursuing at the time. He just wanted to make sure at the end of that phone call that I was still going and I was still excited and I still loved Jesus. And over the next few years, he would casually check up on me and it was the exact same conversation. How are you doing? How's your ministry? How's your wife doing? Eventually it was, how is your kids doing? And are you still, still wanting to do this? Are you still staying faithful? Are you still loving ministry? And he would always end with saying, keep going, I love you. And I'll never, rem- I'll never forget the last phone call I had with him. Just, uh, he called me because he wanted to have me take a new youth minister out to lunch. Tate's Creek hired a new youth minister. He wasn't from this area and he asked if I would take him out to lunch and just hear his story and encourage him because he's a new youth minister in town. And sometimes it's hard to be a minister in this area. And I said, of course I would, but it was during a certain season. I remember it was fall or spring, um, and I have terrible allergies. I sounded like death, and I couldn't really hear him. I had fluid in my ear, and I just felt terrible. And he goes, are you feeling okay? I'm like, ah, it's just allergies. I go through this every year. And he goes, okay, well, uh, let me know how the meeting goes. And two days later, I haven't even had the meeting yet, he calls me back and says, hey, I've been, I've been really thinking about you. I just want to make sure that your health is getting better. And I remember, remember, I remember thinking of this time. He had been recently diagnosed with cancer. And I said, why are you asking me how I'm doing when you're the one going through cancer? You're the one that is suffering in this moment, and you are asking how I'm doing? I just have allergies. I can't breathe. I can't hear. I have the, the Kentucky crud like everybody else. But I think I will never forget that moment. If you were to take my phone right now and you're going to my contacts and look at Brad Walden right under it, it says, always answer. Not even my wife has that under her name. I remember shortly after that conversation, he suddenly passed away. His body gave in to cancer. But I think I will always remember that faithful minister. I think when I get older, I want to be like Brad Walden because he was the greatest. See, today's main point is this. To be the greatest, you must be the least. As we continue on this series, we're going to see how Jesus slowly refines his disciples. He sees so much greatness in these people And they are going through this similar process that every single one of us go through. Where they get a little bit too excited. They get a little too hyped up about themselves. They try to put, they put too much importance on themselves. And sometimes they can't see beyond two inches in front of their nose. But Jesus loves them and he will go to the ends of the earth to make sure they are refined. And that at the end of their, at the end of the day, they are better disciples tomorrow. So my question to you is, do you want to be the greatest? And if you do, you must be the least. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for just another opportunity to come and worship you. Just another example of where you show how we can be great in your eyes, but once again, it's not in the way that we think. God, I want to, I want to pray that we set forth the example that we see here in Scripture of things not to do, but things to do, to make sure we never, we never leave out the least of these in our mind, 
We never leave out the people surrounding us. And we take the example of Jesus by going through all the steps of being at the highest place and going to the lowest of loves to make sure nobody is exempt from the salvation that your son brings. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the example of different people in our lives, of pushing us to be better disciples. God, refine our hearts, refine our minds to make sure we only focus on you. I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.